James Goodfellow, the Scotsman, yeah. he did file a patent 14 months before. And so he is technically the inventor of the cash machine. And yet he got no money out of it. The bitter irony. Wah, 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 wah. I still can't get over the on the buses reference. <laughs> the letter C. He is the carcoleptic Paul Gannon. And he is the cockamamie Damien St. John. And this is the Crokinole podcast, The Dictionary. Good choice choosing the dictionary today. Thanks so much for giving us a listen. We do the funny side of the dictionary every single week. This week it is the letter C. So, Paul Gannon, I called you carcoleptic. Yeah. Any ideas? Is it the horrible happenstance when you fall asleep at the wheel of a car? Is the correct answer. Is it? <laughs> or, in fact, oh. anyone who falls asleep in a car. That's scary, though, right? Yeah. Easily done. Really um, easily done. I've done long drives in my past where you're begging. You drive. I had a license in America to drive. I didn't get that license updated or renewed to come to the UK, and it fell by the wayside. So you got your first driving license in America? Yeah. I like in America that you can turn on a red light if there's no traffic coming. Actually, you get honked if you don't. In fact, there's an interesting fact. As a result of that, uh, UPS only make journeys with their trucks and use right-hand turns only to do their deliveries. It saves petrol. Your parcel will be here in 12 days. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what it really means, car calleptic, yeah, falling asleep. Yeah, ca- car calleptic. Car napping entered the Oxford English Dictionary uh, last year, June 2015. Have you uh, been caught? Car napping. Yeah, have you been, mm. ever had a moment of napping? No, I can't. Even as a passenger, I feel guilty that I have to stay awake because my sleep will make the driver sleepy. Oh. So I have, like, permanently, like, matchstick. So, yeah, there you go. Car calleptic. Wow, so I called you cockamamie. Oh, thank you very much. Um, apparently, it's a North American word, informal, formally used. And originally in the 1940s, it comes from... This is interesting. What do you think? You look at the word cockamamie and you think, it's a crazy kind of ye olde American wordy from it, the old days. It feels a word that's so nonsensical that they just made up a word. That it doesn't mean anything. It comes from a word called decalcomania. It's the art of taking like paper imagery and adding them onto glassware or porcelain. Decals. Decals, yeah. basically. So Because uh, they were crazy and odd designs that kind of became this word cockamamie. As fun as it is to say, yeah. it's not as fun as bollocks, <laughs> which, which is the standard for cockamamie things now. But then that would have to imply you pressing your bollocks against porcelain objects. <laughs> and different. your point is... Oh, OK, fair enough. <laughs> uh, and I call this the Crokinole podcast. Crokinole, a board game with multiple disciplines. Ooh. Similar to pitch nut, carom, marbles, shove halfpenny. It's also got elements of shuffleboard and curling. It's just, if you know curling okay. yeah, in the yeah. Olympics, imagine that on a disc and it's tabletop size. And okay. so you all get together and you all play crokinole. Uh, there's controversy in the world of crokinole. What? I know. Powder is often used to ensure that pieces slide smoothly across the surface. That's despicable. Uh, but the use of any lubricating powder in crokinole is controversial. Oh. Some purists revile in the practice. Put your lube away. <laughs> so is there like a kind of... Um... You know, Lance Armstrong of the Crokinole world. Or well, someone that dopes. Yeah. To, yeah, there must, be, there must be cheats. Yeah. Interestingly, the word Crokinole champion is uh, from Canada. Well, that's good to know, and hopefully he isn't juicing the game. You were saying the other week that you would love to live in Canada. I would. Which means you're going to have to brush up on your Crokinole. For them, I will. I'll get a Zamboni, I'll brush up on my Crokinole. <laughs> And I'll learn how to say A. If you're interested in Crokinole, the World Crokinole Championship takes place each spring this year. Guess where it is? Yes, Canada. Oh, well, at least it's consistent. Look, they have hockey, but they, this is the Crokinole, the forgotten Canadian sport. 
if you're interested in spell casting, yeah. C R O K I N O L E. Crokinole. This is the dictionary where we help you cheat at Scrabble and words with friends in a feature we like to call Cheat, 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 Cheat Letters. I like it. I still think it needs a bit of production. No, don't do sill at the end. I do not like sill. Cheat letters. So we look at the uh, high-scoring words in Scrabble and words with friends relating Mm -hmm. to the letter. This week, Paul Gannon, Chazen. Dave. Spell. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) I knew it. Chazen, spellcasting. C-H-A-Z-Z-E-N. It's a seven-letter word that will score you 80 points in Scrabble and 66 points in words with friends. On its own, it's worth 30. Oh, okay. I was going to say, so if it hits all the money spots, like a triple word score uh-huh. or whatever. Chazen. But what does it mean? What does it mean? You'll find out in a couple of minutes. Here we go. But first, this week's dictionary is dedicated to one man in particular, focusing on a C word this week, cash. This week's dictionary dedicated to Scotsman James Goodfellow, who in 1966 patented the personal identification number technology, PIN codes. Oh, and the automatic cash dispenser. Oh. He filed a patent for those the year that England won the World Cup. And he's Scottish, you say? Yes. And he's created a machine that gives money to people? Yes. <laughs> it, it can happen. I know. A Scotsman and his money are occasionally parted. Uh, although he told the Guardian Money recently that he only got £10 from the patent and has not made a single penny from it since. When it goes, do you want to see how much money you've got? No. no. Do you want a receipt? No. No. Just Look, I'm just going to get in and out before you realise I've got no money. Yeah. Trust the overdraft, and off we go. <laughs> uh, his idea, his, his theory was that you you would put in your PIN number, yeah, and it would give you a cash token, which you would then exchange for goods and services. A couple of months after he filed the patent, a guy called John Shepherd Barron sold his idea to Barclays while pissed on gin. Excellent. And his idea was that he would have a machine that would print an amount on checks. So you would type in 1,000 kroner. Right. And then these kind of stamps would go... And then it would print out a check, and which you'd have for a thousand kroner, nice. and then you would go and use that in the shops. Trouble is that used slightly radioactive ink. Really? <laughs> they didn't know it at the time. So anyway, a guy called Shepard Barron sold his technology to Barclays. Barclays claimed they opened the first cash machine in the world with the help of Reg Varney from On the Buses on the 27th of June, 1967. Excellent. So Barclays go first cash machine in the UK. It was ours. And while technically it was the first one to exist, yeah. they never filed a patent. So the guy that filed it before, the James Goodfellow, the Scotsman, yeah. he did file a patent 14 months before. And so he is technically the inventor of the cash machine. And yet he got no money out of it. The bitter irony. Wah, 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 wah. I still can't get over the on the buses reference. <laughs> <laughs> Time for this week's big four words. Oh, yeah. First word. It is a creature. What do you think a camelopard is? Is it a camel and a leopard? Mm. Is it a cross between a camel and a leopard? Let me give you a uh, half a ding. A camelopard comes from the Greek camelopardalis. It's which, half Dalek as well. Which, yeah, <laughs> which derives from camelos, meaning camel, and pardalis, meaning leopard. So it is a portmanteau of camel and leopard. Ooh. It wasn't common until the late 19th century. But actually, a camelopard mm. is a giraffe. I guess that makes sense. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Giraffe is a French word. Ugh, giraffe. So in the 16th century, the French were calling giraffes giraffes. Yeah. The rest of the world were calling giraffes camelopards. 
It's not the only uh, combo animal out there. A growler bear is what, do you think? Growler bear? Yeah. It's either half bear, half... It's half bear, half bear, but which halves? Oh, a growler it's, bear. It's, it's half grizzly bear and half koala. No polar bear. What? It exists. Do you ever see the Wuzzles? Do you remember the <laughs> yeah. Wuzzles? It's like Bumble Lion. Oh, that's half Bumblebee, half I liked Lion. I him. And Montgomery Moose. Yeah. No, that was Get Along Gang. Oh, okay. Get it right. Oh, God. Wuzzles had Tycoon, wow. who was half tiger, half raccoon. You've not been told off until you've been told off by a nerd. Yeah. What about a mullard? Uh, he's the one who sang, I, I'm the one that you want. A mullard is a Peking duck and a mullard duck crossed. Oh, okay. What about a wolfin? This is awesome. Half wolf, oh. half dolphin. <laughs> so you would think... Oh, a, how a, is it not? A wolfin is a male false killer whale crossed with a female bottlenose dolphin. A wolfin. Wow. So it's a whale dolphin. I still would rather see a half wolf, half dolphin beast. I'll, I would like to see how that happens. Just comes out of the water in, in a full moon. I think it was in an episode of Buffy, sure. Might have been. Yeah. And finally, you've had the growler bear, the mullard and the wolfin. What about the beefalo? Well, I went to that pole dancing club <laughs> and I don't recommend it. Pizza String Fellow presents... <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Tuesday Night Beefalo. <laughs> God. <laughs> Beefalo, cross between a cow and an American buffalo. Kind of makes Fair sense. Enough. But yeah, you'll see where for today. A camelopard, the old ancient name for a giraffe. Right, come on then, hit me with the C words. Right, my C word is the word conundrum. Because sometimes it's all very easy to... Spellcasting. Spellcasting. For the avoidance of doubt. C-O-N-U-N-D-R-U-M. Conundrum. This is a puzzle or something you can't solve, right? Well, here's the thing about conundrum. That's what I thought initially. I thought... Countdown. Yeah, you know, the countdown conundrum. But when you look into the origin and meaning of it, I mean, obviously, I mean, the word is what it is. We all recognise it as meaning a confusing or difficult problem or question. The interesting part of it is the word where it originates. First of all, it originated in the late 16th century of unknown origin, but it was first recorded in a work by Thomas Nash. Mm. And then it was used to describe someone who's a crank or a pedant. Yeah. So, oh, that guy, he's always taking the piss out of Barbara over the road. Yeah. He's a conundrum, isn't he? Yeah, we can't yeah. quite work him out because he's not all there. Yeah. There's something wrong with him. And then it became um, a meaning of whim or fancy or a pun, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I guess it all kind of got middled up in the 17th century and became the conundrum that we all know now. And there are different types of conundrums or riddles. There's wordplay. Yep. That's often quite popular. Here's an example of a wordplay conundrum. You'll get this, right? What can be swallowed or can swallow a person? A hush falls in the auditorium as Damien St. John puts a pencil to his lip and thinks, I should put a, put a time on this, shouldn't I? <laughs> Think outside the box, Yeah, I'm Damien. thinking like shame yeah, or it's, embarrassment That's good. Or that's good. Like You're that. on the right tracks yeah. with that. Yeah. Well, that'll do. Give me a point. Yeah. Ding. Done. <laughs> there are two others I want to get to. One is a moral conundrum. Yeah. So that's when you're presented with a story that doesn't really have a right or wrong answer. For instance, the one they give here is the trolley problem. You're standing on a signpost where there's a lever in front of you, and when you pull that, it switches the train tracks from one to the other, right? Yeah. You see a train barreling out of control down towards this switch in the road. I just get out of the way. No, no, no. Here's the thing. Don't it's go not for about the you. Don't get yourself involved because they'll sue you. No, it's not about you. Okay. You're standing there, and you see the train can't be stopped. Yeah. If you send it down one direction, it's going to hit five people who are working on the track. Yeah. If you pull the lever and it moves elsewhere, it's going to hit one person. Mm-hmm. Is killing one person worth justifying killing five? Depends or that, saving five? Depends even. who that one is. Hitler. Who are the five? Five Hitlers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, that's it. I would want more detail. So then you might go for the five Hitlers. You get more money and Absolutely. more satisfaction. Yeah, five, so spots anyway, in, I've that one. five spots in heaven if I kill five Hitlers. And then finally, there's a practical conundrum, for instance, where uh, maybe uh, someone offers you a dilemma about your own life. Like, you're offered a job. Yeah. And then two jobs get given to you, right? One is well-paid, but lots of work, hard hours. Okay. The other one is not as much money, but it looks like a more fun place to work. Which one do you want to go for? You're going to go for the money. You're going to go for the the hard work. You're going to go for a more relaxed environment that suits your, you know, See, yeah, vibe. You're, you're right. There's no right or wrong answer because there's not enough options. That I guess makes sense. So there's kind somebody, of the conundrums you can get hold of. Somebody did this to me once yeah. at a barbecue. He said, "How much would I have to pay you to stand in a queue for eight hours?" And you would get if you stood in the queue for eight hours, you get the money. And I went ten million pounds. Yeah. And he went, no, you're not understanding it. How much would I have to... I said... That's how much. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll wait for 10 million. Yeah, and he's of course going, you would. Well, what's the least? And I went, well, a million. I, I, I guess. Like, a life-changing amount of money. Yeah, a million. Because uh, it makes a difference then. Yeah. They go, oh, but you're not thinking on our wave. No, I, that doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I am. I'm out-lateralising you. <laughs> so anyway, conundrum. Love it. Uh, my next word for you is cakewalk. Oh. You know when someone says, oh, that was a cakewalk? Yeah. Right, comes from 1863. It's an American English word. Cake walking was one of the happier moments during slave life for black men and women on southern plantations. Wow. Uh, they had the chance to mock stiff and white lifestyles through the medium of dance. They would kind of do this uh, Mickey-taking ball. Yeah. And they would go up in couples and they would all do the dancing. The, okay. way, the way that their owners would do the dancing. So they were mocking their, yeah. their bosses, their... Yeah, it was it was a chance to have a bit of fun, and they got yeah, they got to have a little disco. Did they do of... this in private, away from? No, quite often done in the plantations. I mean, it's eighteen sixty three, so it's sort of fairly close to the end of yeah, end of things. Uh, occasionally, you would get slave owners going down and uh, awarding the the prize, which was a cake. That's a strange bit of history. I did yeah. not know. Best impersonation won a cake. <laughs> God, that's weird. Because it's hard to imagine after watching like 12 Years a Slave and even something like Django Unchained and then hearing the lovely story of the birth yeah. of the word cakewalk. Well, of course, there, there, there's the horrible side of slavery. You should never own a person. And yeah. there's the horrible side of slavery where people are, for a start, emancipated yeah. and beaten and whipped and killed. And there were the softer sides of things. And actually, as they got into minstrel shows... Um, yeah. And it caused quite a lot of consternation because it was a form of black expression to be able to say, look, we're people, we're gently mocking you, you know we are, you get the joke, we get the joke, isn't it a bit of fun? Yeah. But then when they put the cakewalk into the minstrel shows, it kind of took away the power that the black people had because it was white people dressing as black people yeah. doing a dance. And that feels like it's a little yeah. bit... Uh, so they were mocking the black yeah. people for doing the dance in the first place. Early 20th century entertainer Tom Fletcher said his grandparents were champion cakewalkers. But he said there was no prancing, just a straight walk on a path made by turns and so forth, and you had to carry a bucket of water on your head. The couple who was the most erect and spilled the least water, or no water at all, was the winner. Can I just add then, yeah. to make fashion fa uh, shows more interesting, can they make them into where the models have to walk down the catwalk with a bucket of water on their head? You know what? I think it all comes from the same place. That's kind of weird to think that maybe the catwalk come from the cakewalk yeah but it probably does <laughs> that's isn't that weird. strange it is kind of strange equally next time you say that was a piece of cake comes from the same place good i'm glad i didn't pick my final word of this show to be that was a cakewalk <laughs> <laughs> uh what is your next word paul Gannon? um this word is cliche oh, i love it because you know 
I love a cliche. I like a cliche too. It is a noun. It's a phrase or opinion that's overused and betrays a lack of original thought. Like that old cliche of the woman's place is in the home. Mm. Now, obviously, I agree wholeheartedly with that statement. So it's not a cliche. By and large, a cliche seems to be a lazy way of summing up a complicated thought process, Mm. if that makes sense. So you know when someone goes, oh... I've had a hard day at work and, you know, I've just done this. And, and then someone turns around and he goes, well, every cloud has a silver lining. Yeah. That's them saying, I can't be asked to engage with yeah. you. <laughs> it's, it's a lazy auto phrase that you roll Because out. it instantly conjures up yeah. the term or the emotion or the expression or, or the emotion mm. that you want to get out without having to impress any original thought upon it. Is there a particular cliche that upsets you? I think you- it's phrases like, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, when someone says that and you think, but no. He, yeah. he he looks creepy. Yeah, He's get... taking meth outside of a kid's school. Yeah. I'd like to judge him accordingly. Yeah, uh, Mine is when they describe something as being like Marmite. Oh, yeah. Like, it's lazy. When people can't be bothered to make up their mind, they'll go, oh, it's like Marmite, isn't it? Why, give you a yeast infection? Yeah. <laughs> it's brown and comes in a bottle. You go, there's room for more than two opinions in this world. I'm fairly ambivalent towards Marmite. I mean, they're used in pop culture a lot because they are narrative shorthand. Mm. So, for instance, the obvious story here is when a tale ends with the phrase, and they lived happily ever after, which basically means you don't need to think about their story anymore. (laughs) And then they all went to heaven. Snow White eventually found out that Prince Charming had a bit of an OCD problem when it came to keeping the bedroom clean. (laughs) He didn't bring that up when they were dating, but now they're together and they're married... They're locked in. Clichés are also useful ways to shut down a conversation. Oh, yeah. Because you could be apathetic towards a conversation and you go, well, don't judge a book by its cover. What I want is a cliché to combat cliché. So here we go. Let's play cliché tennis. 40-30. I'm as fit as a fiddle. Well, every cloud had a silver lining. I love you more than life itself. All that glitters isn't gold. All's fair in love and war. When pigs fly. <laughs> you see, those people that run around with the cliches to end their sentences, just smack them back with your favourite cliche and see how you get on. I will say this, though, to end on. What we tend to use cliches in more than any other genre, nearly any other part of pop culture, are things like advertising. Mm. Advertising does nothing but trade in cliches to sell their products in a very lazy, very shorthand way of getting it across. I found this sketch online from a Mitchell and Webb, which I think uh, rather exemplifies the point of advertising cliches. Ow, my stomach. Do you suffer from gut agony? And my head. Tension head. Got that bloated feeling. Inevitable wrinkles. The beginnings of lady moustache. Women, you're leaking, aging, hairy, overweight, and everything hurts. And your children's clothes are filthy. No wonder men long for other, less clammy women. For God's sake, sort yourself out. That's very clever. And for more on that, see last week's episode, Barnumize. Yes. There you go. Time for this week's Cheat Letters. Chazen, spellcasting C-H-A-Z-Z-E-N. Did you have any guesses on what you thought Chazen might be? I, well, apart from the obvious gag about being one half of a Cockney Knees Up music band, I was actually going to say Chazen. Is, it sounds like it's either some kind of fabric for something or some kind of way of preparing a f- food. Because they do test you when you play these games. There's always someone that goes, yeah, well, what is it? You can't put it down until you tell me what it is. Yeah. So here we go. Chazen...
is a Hebrew word. It's the alternative form of a Jewish cantor in a synagogue. Cantor being someone that sings, especially someone that leads the singing in a ceremony. Oh, and to remember, so it is Chaz and Dave. <laughs> you could argue, actually, yeah. if he was Jewish. Yeah, you could argue Chazen, right? The best way to remember this, and it will score you. 80 points in Scrabble, 66 in Words of Friends, worth 30 alone. The best way to remember Chazen, other than Chazen Day, yeah. is that the famous Jewish singers include Paula Abdul, Billy Joel, Neil Diamond, Lou Reed, Gene Simmons, and Barry Manilow. If you're interested in another Jewish word, chutzpah, spellcasting, C-H-U-T-Z-P-A, gets you 23 in Scrabble and 25 in Words of Friends. Also, Chulpa Cabana. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Dictionary. If you've enjoyed it, if that made you laugh, uh, then give us a rating or subscribe and you'll get episodes first and free to uh, whichever you listen to, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher or Audio Boom. We've also got the Twitter, which you can get to through our website, dictionary.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I would say this week, Paul Gannon, The Dictionary has been mostly catch penny. Oh, I've considered this episode to be completely claptrap. And some might say it's been coquette a 17th century woman who flirts lightheartedly with men to win their admiration and affection. Of course, the croquette appeared 100 years later, a small cake or ball of minced meat, poultry, fish, rice, potato or other food, uh, which arguably teases you in a completely different way when it's on your plate. Mm. Until next week when we tackle the devilishly destructive letter D, have a lovely day. Bye. Bye. Bye.